Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't necessarily have to talk about an event. You can simply just start connecting with your body and your body will speak back when you do that. It just wants to be heard. And oftentimes we spent our life ignoring this pain that we've lived in so well that we're missing the cues our body's been trying to speak to us. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you? What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. Do you self-sabotage? It's something that is often done subconsciously. And so all we know is that we really, really want something but we never actually achieve it. We never actually get the thing. So why does that happen? In this quick chat episode, I'm speaking with Jamie McCoy, who is a psychotherapist and trauma coach. In her 20s, Jamie was literally bedridden with brain fog, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and eventually received a diagnosis of Lyme disease. Jamie healed herself by healing her nervous system. When you engage in self-destructive behaviours, it is not necessarily because you're not trying hard enough or you don't want it badly enough. It's because in your nervous system, you may not feel safe enough to have the things that you so desperately want. We pick this quick chat up 
as Jamie is describing what is self-sabotage. When we are self-engaging in self-destructive behaviours, I always like to say you can feel so shameful and discouraged to think, you know, why can't I get it together? But it's not necessarily because you're not trying hard enough or you don't want it badly enough. It's because in your nervous system, you may not feel safe to have what you want. It may not feel like it's okay. Like you said, we can feel familiar things as almost safe. It's, I know this very well, so it feels safe. But if there's something new, even if it's healthy for us, even if it's a positive stress, it's still a stress to our physiology and our nervous system may interpret that as a threat. And so then we go through a stress response and potentially shut down. And when we're shut down, we don't really have our critical thinking skills totally online and our motivation's a little bit lower. And we may engage in repetitive behaviors that might not be so great for us because we don't feel safe. And so that's all sub conscious? Yes, typically. I mean, unless you've been through a lot of therapy and you've made these patterns conscious, for most people, it's a very automatic response in your physiology. And so that's why I love teaching nervous system work, because once you understand your neurobiology, you will be able to feel when you're shifting through different nervous system states. And when you know, okay, I'm starting to feel a little bit more overwhelmed and shut down. Maybe that's not the best time to make big decisions and give yourself some time to come out of that freeze response before making any big choices. But typically those will be the times when we might engage in behaviors that won't be as helpful for us because our prefrontal cortex, our critical thinking, rational mind is not quite fully online at that moment. We have to bring a little bit more safety back in the system to have clear thinking. So those times when we're stuck in negative cycles of thinking is that part of our nervous system response I know myself I've gone through stages of just not being able to stop the same thoughts going over and over I know a lot of people really struggle with that Mm -hmm. yeah your thoughts are a reflection of the state of your nervous system so if you're really activated in a fight or flight response so that's your your sympathetic stress response you're going to have some type of thoughts that are going to be different than when you're completely shut down and maybe more numb and disconnected where you're more just kind of feel like numb. You just don't have much going on in there. You can brain, it's like brain fog and you can't really think very clearly at all. But when you're more activated, you may ruminate and have more obsessive thinking going on because it's, you're, you're more alert, you're on high alert. And so things are going to feel more threatening. So your thoughts are going to reflect that as well, that oh my God, I got to take care of all these threats. And so you worry, you're worrying about all these things. How can I protect myself? How can I protect myself? And then once we go into shutdown, we feel a little bit more hopeless. We feel more shameful, hopeless, losing motivation. And that's our freeze response that's kicked in saying, okay, well, I can't defend myself. So I'm going to shut down. Yeah. And every single part of that is really us just wanting ourselves to stay safe, isn't it? Yeah. That's our, that's our core need from a tiny baby all the way yeah. through. We just want, we just need safety. And so that's what our nervous system is doing, isn't it? It's just trying to keep us safe in all moments. Yeah. Yeah. We, we want these nervous system responses. And so it's not about getting rid of our stress response or, or that shutdown response. They serve a purpose. So your stress response is there to help mobilize you to take action towards things that are threatening or to be able to run away from that bear that's chasing you and fight. And it's also very motivating to just get work done, right? So we need to be activated to do work, even like right now, talking to you, 
I might have more adrenaline going through my system to concentrate, right? So I want to be present and focused and that can be very helpful. And then shutting down is a reflection of, okay, well, I need to rest. And maybe I've, I've, I've done a little bit too much, gone beyond my capacity. My body needs to conserve some energy. And so I'm going to rest. And in a situation where we're talking about our survival, when we're going into more of those shutdown states, freezing up can actually be like what we see in the animal kingdom. If you're not moving and you're really, really still, then the predator can't see you. So these responses evolved literally to keep you safe from the predator. And so they're there for a reason. So if we can be still, maybe the threat will pass. And it's not a conscious thing. These are automatic things that happen and have been wired evolutionarily to help us. Yeah. And so when somebody is healing in this way, through the nervous system. I think a lot of people go to talk therapy and they can find it quite traumatic because you're constantly going over the same stories and and issues. What's it like actually healing through the nervous system? Is it a karma approach? It can be. It really depends on the person. So with talk therapy, it is going to activate neural pathways in the brain associated with that event you're talking about. So you, you will feel the experience of that event as if it's happening in the present. And without support for your nervous system or with a very skilled and trained therapist, it can be incredibly activating and to the point where you almost leave feeling like a truck ran over you or something. It can be re-traumatized and not feel very safe. And so you want to have someone that's going to be able to guide you through that experience if you are going to choose to do that. When you do incorporate support for the nervous system, it's allowing you to be able to gently release stored stress where you don't necessarily have to talk about an event. You can simply just start connecting with your body and your body will speak back when you do that. It just wants to be heard. And oftentimes we spent our life ignoring this pain that we've lived in so well that we're missing the cues our body's been trying to speak to us. And so somatic therapy is really about creating that connection again with your nervous system. And sometimes it's going to talk back in ways that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but that's why we do it really slowly. And then eventually as you release this stored stress, it will bring more calm into the system eventually, but everyone is totally different with how they respond. Yeah. And so how important is it to find someone who's trained in trauma when you've been through trauma? It's incredibly important. (laughs) So you want to work with someone who can understand and help you navigate through the different states of your nervous system as you're experiencing them and guide you of how you can support yourself through those states and also know not to push you beyond your window of tolerance. And so that's the other thing is you don't want to, this is a less is more approach. You don't want to just keep pushing somebody and just, you know, if you go beyond someone's capacity, they will shut down. It's not helpful to do that. We want to do just a little bit of going in and exploring and then pulling back and a little bit of exploring and then pulling back and seeing how your body responds. And then That way someone can kind of know and keep you at a certain pace that's tolerable for you. It's about, you know, working within this level of your capacity of where you are. And as you continuously kind of touch the edge of that tolerance and pull back, the edge starts to widen and you develop a little bit more space and then a little bit more room to play a little bit more and to go a little bit deeper. But you have to start and be able to see like, 
where is this person at and how can I specifically guide them based on what their physiology is telling me? And you've got to know what survival physiology is and what the nervous system is and how it functions in order to do that and how trauma is stored. Absolutely. And so if somebody identifies as an empath, what's the difference between empathy and compassion and why do we identify as an empath? Yeah. So I proudly identified as an empath for the majority of my life. And I, I still think I have a lot of empathy for people, but what it was is having a really great sensitivity towards other people's experiences and really absorbing that because that was my way of protecting myself. If I could read people, if I could feel what they were feeling, then I could navigate the situations to make them feel better and fix it. I can fix it and then I'll feel better. And so that's sort of the people pleasing state that I was in, but, but my hypervigilance, that was my form of protection is if I could feel that experience, I could be okay. But the problem with that is it's incredibly overwhelming and it puts you beyond your capacity because now not only are you holding all your stored stress, but you're really absorbing everybody else's as well. And there's no release for that. And so compassion, the way I see it as being different, it's holding that space without taking it on. So you're able to hold it, provide a space for someone, but it's not yours and it's not yours to fix either. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? And I think there's so many people identifying as empaths. So are you saying that really when you're an empath, it's really more of a trauma response? I have come to that conclusion. I mean, it's not something that everybody agrees with, but I, I often question, are you an empath or did you have a lot of experiences that overwhelmed your nervous system's capacity to cope as a child? And so you're constantly scanning your environment to make sure you're okay. And part of that scanning is absorbing this and reading people and taking that on and figuring out how can I survive? Yeah. Absolutely. I would agree with that 100%, having been there myself. <laughs> um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What's the difference between trauma and stress? Yeah, so stress is going to be when we have that initial something startles us and there's a threat in a situation and we activate and we have that mobilizing response. That's a stress response. So something where we wanna take action. And at the point where we perceive we can't defend or protect ourselves in a situation and we don't have enough energy to move through that stress, now we've shut down. And when we shut down, that's survival mode. 
that's the trauma response is when we go into that shutdown mode. So there's a moment when the stress becomes a trauma and when it's, it's when we're feeling blocked from getting to safety, when we feel helpless and when we shut down. That's the difference there. One is more active and a mobilizing response and one is immobilizing and shut down. Yeah, so if somebody right now is listening to this and saying, oh, this sounds like me, because I, I feel like we all are, we're all on a journey and we get to a point where you say, oh, obviously this is a, a thing for me. This is a thing with my ner- nervous system. What would you recommend as first steps for people? Yeah, well, I always, the beginning of how I work with anyone, I always encourage everybody, learn the different states of your nervous system and how to track that in your everyday life. Once you understand your patterns of that, you can see what are the things that are maybe contributing to moving more towards that stress response and then the shutdown. What are the things that are happening before you go into that shutdown and how long are you staying in there? And what are the ways in which you think you've been coping with that? How have you been getting by? And can we learn more regulating tools as opposed to just coping with it and getting by? Can we actually help your physiology start releasing that stored stress? But first you have to really start exploring your patterns and understanding where you are and what are the things that are bringing you into these different states of your nervous system and what are the things that actually help bring greater regulation into your system so you can experiment. Oh, this is actually making me feel safe and this is actually very threatening yeah and if somebody is just in this chronic sort of unwellness it's it's almost like the the trauma isn't something that they're recognizing necessarily you're just sort of constantly unwell you're not really seeing the connection there Mm -hmm. Uh, I just wonder how people can start understanding that there is a connection between this constant unwellness and what's going on in their nervous system. Yeah, I I think for me, it took, it took until I was completely bedridden and I couldn't work and I couldn't do anything. And it was really the difference between surviving versus actually becoming alive again and living. And that was a gradual process of understanding what led to my body's breakdown and, and realizing everyone gets to this point, I think at different like different things will bring them to that point of recognizing I have to uncover there's something else when you've tried all the things. So if you're in the space where you've tried all the things, you've gone to all the doctors and you're still not feeling well and you have these chronic symptoms and you can't quite figure it out, you really have to start thinking about what's going on in my physiology in terms of my nervous system. Because if you are in that shutdown state, you can't function optimally with your health because you're not in the ideal state for tissue repair and healing. The state of healing is in that state of safety. And so if you're shut down, we can't repair. We can't repair any of these things. So we have to bring you back online to get into that place of safety so things can start to repair themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much inflammation in the body, isn't there, with yeah. with all of that chronic illness. And I think we just end up trying to solve so many issues yeah so you talk then about when you got to the point of being totally bedridden how did you turn that around yeah I started with just I didn't entirely know what I was doing at the time this was over 10 years ago I was experimenting because I was desperate I was at the place where I think I was like 80 something pounds all the treatments I was doing for Lyme disease were failing I couldn't eat anything I was allergic to everything I just didn't really have a great quality of life And so I remember I was just 
was like, I wonder if I just, you know, I can't really move a lot right now, but what would happen if I just sort of wiggled my toes and try and get a little bit of more blood flow in my system? I was feeling really depressed because living in New York City and I can't go walking around anywhere and it's very depressing. So I was like, okay, but what can I do? What can I do from this bed? <laughs> I can wiggle my toes. And so I started doing a little movement that way without knowing it kind of connecting with my body, right? Just saying, hello, I hear you. Instead of punishing you all the time, I'm going to try and just say hi, wiggle my toes. And then I started pumping my feet in bed. And then after that, I would kind of move my arms in bed. And then I would start to walk around the apartment. So getting movement back into my system was very helpful. And then the other thing I did was I started thinking about, okay, I know what wasn't helpful for me. I know the things that made me feel bad, but what does make me feel nourished? And so I remember thinking like, when I take pictures of things I find beautiful, that makes me feel good. So I started focusing on that. And so I would take pictures, of, a lot of pictures of my cats at the time, <laughs> a lot of pictures of them. And then I started watching documentaries of just all the places I wanted to go in the world that I couldn't. And so I was watching documentaries on Italy and Greece and kind of retraining my brain to start to look for and visualize what could be, what could be possible. And I started getting a little bit more motivation just from that. It was really shifting my focus through getting more movement and connecting with my body. And then from that point, it was just going deeper with that, being able to finally walk outside, getting in nature, which was incredibly co-regulating for me. So there are these resources that we have, like I mentioned, my cats, other people at the time where I couldn't self-regulate, I had resources to help me bring, come back online. And I used that until I could do it on my own. And so sometimes that's where we have to start when we're, we're so ill is we may need other things to outside of ourselves to help bring us back a little bit, a little bit at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And so when did the actual nervous system work come in? Yeah. And so after I started getting more energy, I actually moved. So this was another big thing for me as I recognized the environment around me was not healing. It was not a very nourishing place for my nervous system, honking, ambulance sounds out the window all the time, it was constantly keeping my system on high alert. And this is another practice that we go over in somatic work, which is when you start attuning to your environment, you realize how things are affecting you and you really are having these physiological responses we don't always pay attention to. So a key thing for me was moving, getting out of this environment and I moved to California. It was sunnier. It just was a healthier choice for me at the time, brought more energy back to the system. And then I could do more of my studies on the biology of trauma. My brain was coming back online. So I started learning more about the nervous system and learning more about this work and implementing practices that way little by little and over the years I've just continued to get education on this and that's just sort of what happened is once I started having more energy my brain came back online to be able to learn and take this information in and practice it for myself and see that over time it really does work yeah and I like when you talk about your brain coming back online I remember myself being at a stage where my brain just didn't seem to work at all I mean i I couldn't think of things and I couldn't get things to come out of my mouth. Is that part of a freeze response? Yeah. So trauma actually can, and if you've already gone through a period of chronic illness as well, it causes neuroinflammation. And so when we have neuroinflammation, it is hard to think. We do have certain symptoms that we experience where 
we're not really ourselves. It's very hard to, to put together sentences even and searching for words and things like that, take in and process information it becomes more challenging. And that's not an uncommon thing to experience as a result of trauma. And if you have any challenges in like your gut, any, I know that's a very common thing that people deal with where you're, you're not able to tolerate a lot of things or there can be digestive troubles that you go through, but there's a strong connection between the gut and the brain as well. And if your gut is inflamed, your brain is inflamed. It's sending signals to your brain all the time via the vagus nerve. And so that's why it's so important. We want to have that connection with the vagus nerve be nice and optimal. And we want to have the inflammation you know, taken care of and, and calmed down so that we can come back online and be clear. Yeah. And so you went from chronically bedridden. When do you, how long did, did it take you to get to a point where you would have classified yourself as, you know, quite functional in the world? Yeah, I'd say a year, a year between bedridden to climbing up mountains and hiking in Los Angeles. Like, so yeah, it took time. It was a very slow, but steady progression. And then once I was there, it was just knowing so clearly how these things affected me and having this connection with my body made me very aware of what I did want to accept and not accept into my life anymore. And so having those boundaries is what enabled me to keep going. I did have some stumbles along the way where I was living in some environments that had some toxic mold in it. And so that's another big thing I think a lot of people deal with where, you know, when I moved, I was doing great. And then I moved to an apartment that maybe wasn't so great. And I would get certain symptoms coming back and our environment does affect us still. So it's not all in your head and it's not all, you know, you might be doing everything perfectly, but we have to have the mind, the body, and the environment be very nourishing in order to have that nervous system feel like it's safe. Otherwise, it's picking up cues of danger. So I experienced that. And then once I got out of that environment, it comes back. It's not like a permanent thing, but it it is a combination of factors of making sure everything is fully nourished. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.